0: Uh, we're currently under attack right now Same location
1: so in today's video I'm going to take a walk around Odessa with an American who had moved to Ukraine and with the war with the invasion on the 20th of February 2022 he took up his adopted homelands call and went to protect the city and the country that he had made his second home so when you're watching this interview I want you to think what would you do if the country that you have moved to was suddenly invaded by its neighbor, what decisions would you make and would you step up to the plate? Sir Experience. So greetings from Odessa Mama and in today's video I have an American who've invited on who has been serving in the Ukrainian military and been living here in Odessa and he has a really interesting story to tell. So Alex Tobiasen is your last name? Tobiasen. Tobiasen, okay. Pronouncing a little bit too (laughs) German-esque. So Tobiasen. And uh, you are from where in the U.S. originally?
0: Uh, Oh, I'm originally from Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, But, you know, I lived everywhere in the southern New England area. Okay, so you were living there in the U.S. We're here
1: in the City Garden in the center of Odessa. It is day 219 of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's actually the day that uh, Vladimir Putin announced that apparently He owns Jupiter at this stage or Mars, I know he was there trying to claim he annexed many parts of Ukraine that you've actually been to even recently with the military. Maybe before we get into that, tell us, um, how did you end up in Ukraine?
0: Uh, Well, I came to Ukraine in 2016, I was traveling through Europe and um, I have Ukrainian heritage uh, as well as that, Ah, yeah, so I always figured that, you know, Ukraine would be an interesting place to come travel to. Uh, given the fact it's really not as popular as a lot of the other European countries. Um, And at the time, I was also studying a bit of the Russian language, so I figured, you know, why not? So, I came here to uh, Kiev, and I pretty much have been here ever since. Oh wow,
1: okay. So, I didn't realize you also had a little bit of background uh, with Ukraine in your family history. Uh, So, you came to Ukraine and you enlisted in the military here. Correct. Uh, how did that happen? Uh, did you have a background in the military beforehand, or was what, what prompted that decision?
0: Uh, yes. Yeah, so I spent five years in the United States Army as a paratrooper, and I did a deployment in 2012 to Afghanistan. Uh, and I got discharged from the U.S. Army honorably in 2015, and um, I was going to community, community college Uh, And I decided, you know, I'd take some time off and travel, travel the world a little bit. And I came here to Ukraine and started settling down, and one thing led to another. Um, And, you know, I found myself deciding that I wanted to stay here and serve this country, uh, just like I served, you know, my, my native country back in the United States, because I made the decision to live here. Okay. And what prompted you to decide to settle down here? Uh, well, I actually uh, got married uh, to a Ukrainian woman, uh, and this was back in 2017. And we have a beautiful five-year-old daughter now. Oh wow. Um, so all this pretty much coincided together, and you know one thing led to another, and I decided that if I'm going to stay here, I would like to uh, have a career, uh, have another chance at building a career in something that I love doing. Uh, so, And at the same time, I could give back and I could serve uh, you know, the great people of this nation and do my part in society. So I decided to enlist in the Ukrainian Marines.
1: In the Marines. So this was when exactly? It was a few years ago?
0: Yes. Uh, so back in 2017, I spent one year with the Georgian National Legion. Uh, and they were attached to the 25th Battalion, which was the Ukrainian Army. Uh, but in 2018, I signed a three-year contract with the Ukrainian Marines uh, and I served in 36th Brigade 1st Battalion, uh, DISH-AIR, that stands for uh, Dessantne Stormerota, uh, which is an air assault company. Uh, so, I ended up serving in Nikolayev for three years doing multiple deployments to the Donbass. Okay, wow,
1: so before the February 24th invasion, uh, you had actually been to Donbass where there was uh, active combat. After fighting, Correct. and what was that like as an experience? Because I mean, uh, you're an American, <laughs> and uh, you find yourself in the midst of this um, war between Russia and Ukraine, your adopted homeland, and it had already been ongoing when you came here. Obviously, it started in 2014. Uh, what was that like? What is it like being, I don't know, on the front line? I've never, well, obviously, I've never served in the military. or I mean, in the uh,
0: to begin with. Um, what, what pretty much prompted me in in going through and uh, with the decision of of joining the military and going through with these deployments was the fact that, you know, my wife's from Donetsk okay. and I uh, I had like a clear understanding of exactly what was going on here, like what the political situation was, what the climate and atmosphere was like. Uh, she moved from Donetsk in 2014 to escape the war. Uh, she moved to Lviv and we met up in Kiev. Uh, so, you know, after having like a real understanding of what everything was about, I, I felt that Ukraine was, was in the right. And um, again, that, that gave me more motivation, especially having a child uh, here in Ukraine. That gave me the motivation to go out there and serve and uh, protect. Um, but as it goes about the uh, experience out there on the front line, uh, it was much different than the experiences that I, uh, I had when I was in Afghanistan. Uh, for example, uh, just the conditions of daily living, uh, living in a trench, not having running water, um, you know, not having any of the luxuries like electricity, things that we have here and take for granted for. Uh, that wasn't abundant out there, um, you know, so besides having the duty of an infantryman or a soldier, which is to fight, you also had uh, daily chores, uh, you know, that you had to do, such as like water collection, collecting food, you know, chopping wood, um, and of course, you know, being outside in the elements such as wintertime, uh, it could get miserable at times. All
1: right, so it was a very different experience from being in the U.S. military. Absolutely. Uh, Was that a result of just the professionalism level or the resource level, Um, um, or the actual places that the the fighting was going on in, different terrain?
0: I think it would be a combination of all three. Uh, Once again, you know, Ukraine's military is pretty much a new one. Uh, So a lot of uh, traditions that they might have had from the Soviet era uh kind of were still applied uh which wasn't very good uh, as well as the fact that we were fighting more of a conventional war where there was these lines you know where your enemy is uh, there's no surprises there's not really urban um, combat operations but you're fighting in fields you're fighting in woodland
1: okay wow so it's a uh... I've heard it, we'll get into this in a sec, what happened since February 24th, but I've heard it described in Donbass there's more like the First World War with trench warfare, we've seen a lot of that in this war since February 24th, so that would be a more accurate description, it's Exactly. it's like, wow, so a bit more like the First World War. Yeah, you know, you're,
0: you're out there, you're digging trenches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're in the mud, up to your ankles, your knees, you know. Do
1: people get trench foot still? Is that the thing? Uh, or?
0: It, you know what, people take care of themselves, but today, you know, the best thing was, which I learned, is actually having rubber boots. A lot yeah. of guys go out there, they want all these, like, really cool guy operator boots, you know, like, mountain hiking boots, yeah. but it doesn't, doesn't uh, do you too much. Oh, it doesn't actually there. help if you're yeah. stuck in the trenches. You need rubber <laughs> boots. Interesting.
1: <laughs> Alex, are you filming
0: yeah. the last moment of your life? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I think we should make a run for the bunker. Uh, Yeah, that, that might be a good option. Who's going first? I'll go. Yeah, bad idea.
1: So tell me a little bit more about how y- met your wife because this is a bit of a classical ukrainian story in the sense that a western guy comes over to ukraine meets a woman and then they create a family so how did that happen exactly
0: well i guess it's a a bit stereotypic Um, especially this late in the game i've noticed pretty much all guys who come out here they end up having you know ukrainian wives or girlfriends and it goes in that direction you know we find love Uh, but my situation was pretty unique. You know, my wife was actually the administrator of a hostel that I was living in, in Kiev, So, um, you know, she was actually the first hostel I stayed at uh, and we just got along really good, you know, and we started going out to parties. Uh, We had a lot of the same common interests. Uh, We like electronic music, we like techno. um, You know, so uh, we naturally just had a bond that subsided very quickly.
1: Uh, and actually that's why I chose this, this particular t-shirt with after party uh, for today's for shoot because I know that you DJ here in Odessa. Uh, why did you choose Odessa actually? If your wife is from Donbass and you met up in Kiev, uh, and you're an American, why would you settle on Odessa as the city to, you know, create your family?
0: Odessa uh, mama. Odessa mama, <laughs> Odessa duh. mama. Why Odessa <laughs> mama? Uh, well, you know, it's really because of the, the sea. I mean, to put it seaside, short, yeah, yeah. to put it shortly, it's all about the beach, it's all about the sea. Uh, we love the energy and the vibes that come from the city. Uh, there's a lot of different like foreign cultures and influence here, uh, like primarily in Odessa. Uh, and it's just something about this city in particular, the architecture, uh, just the, how the way people carry themselves. Uh, Odessa is a very attractive place and growing up in Rhode Island, growing up in Southern New England, I was always near the coastline. Uh, So to me, it's like I really need uh, water around me to feel uh, natural, feel like I'm at home. So Odessa is the spot.
1: Excellent. I can definitely relate to that having grown up on the west coast of Ireland. One of the reasons I also like Odessa is definitely the seaside, uh, the vibe here. Um, And then you set up your, you know, obviously you uh, you have a family here, you have a child here and your wife and you're all been living here. Uh, What were you doing in Odessa before the war? Because I mentioned obviously the DJ stuff.
0: Uh, So there was like, there was a couple of months in which I just finished my contract uh, and I started kind of doing the classic uh, Western thing to do which would be like teach English. Um, But that was really just to like help pay the bills. But my main hobby, like main thing that I'm enthusiastic about is uh, DJing. Uh, I love techno music, especially like hard techno, industrial techno, and um, I produce a little bit myself and here in Odessa, there's just like an amazing uh, techno scene, you know, okay. so it really, this is a this is a good place for that too.
1: Excellent, that's one thing that I always explain to the guys who are my clients, normally is like, you have to uh, like provide value within the community. You can't just show up and just think, hey, I'm the Westerner, everybody should just love me, but you know, you have to, find your role in the city's kind of uh, life and soul, right? And be able to contribute values, that's super cool. So he's a DJ here. Uh, Definitely a a cool thing
0: to be involved in. Right now I'm moving out to position to defend. We got our weapons, we're ready to go. One second. Right, so we just had news that they might be coming to Odessa, we're moving in route. Now Alex is driving. Uh, Yeah, we're ready to defend this, this city to the last breath. Okay.
1: So, Alex. February 24th happened, right, obviously everybody's aware that Russia kind of continued their original invasion for 2014 and they attacked uh, a lot greater parts of Ukraine, basically the entire country this time. Where were you on February 24th?
0: On February 24th, I was here in Odessa. I remember I was um, really early in the morning, my wife woke me up and the first thing she said to me was, it started. And I knew exactly what she meant by that. Uh, If you remember, for weeks, uh, maybe even months, there was talk uh, coming down the pipeline. The United States, different news agencies were reporting about this big, massive buildup on the border and how uh, invasion was imminent. And a lot of people here in Ukraine, you know, they didn't really believe it. Uh, A lot of them were pretty skeptical. Uh, They thought, you know, this is just another game Putin's playing with the West. Uh, but you know, I took that threat pretty seriously. I thought there was possibly like an 85% chance that there was going to be an invasion. Okay, so. wow.
1: So you thought 85% even a few weeks before or just, yeah, the, yeah. okay. Because yeah. I actually put it a little bit less than that. I thought it was a 50 50, probably about three weeks out. And then when he made that speech, um, it was what? about two days before the invasion. I was like, okay, this doesn't look very good at yeah, all. It looks ex- like it's Especially
0: when uh, the DNR uh, announced that there was some kind of like uh, car bombing and they were mobilizing people and evacuating women and children. That's when I knew the, the war pretty much started.
1: Okay, that's interesting as a, as a feedback so we can recognize this in the future. You know, this is the tell signs that people are preparing for uh, war. And February 24th, you were here uh, what was the reaction in the city? You said that people were caught off guard, they were a bit surprised. What was actually happening here in the center yes. of Odessa?
0: I remember, uh, so basically, you know, we, we started tuning into telegram channels, social media, calling friends, trying to get all the information we could uh, about the situation and a lot of people had a lot of disinformation about there was paratroopers enter the yeah, city. Uh, people were saying there were landing crafts and there was a marine invasion already and there were soldiers in the city center. Uh, so, you know, the, the atmosphere was quite chaotic. People were panicking.
1: So it was mainly panic. I remember there was disinformation about the paratroopers. We weren't sure if there was actually an amphibious uh, landing taking place. And it was quite, yeah, I mean, obviously there was a lot of things happening all over the country. Correct. Obviously, they, Russia did attack with land forces Kharkiv, Mikolaev, Kherson. Uh, Kiev itself but in the end they didn't attack here. What did you do uh, on that day when you uh, obviously your, your first priority was your family I, Absolutely, I assume? Absolutely
0: yeah so I immediately said to my wife that we need to get out of here. Uh, she wanted to stay. Wow so, okay yeah. even with the war? Even with the war she was like you know it's my country it's my home I want to stay. I said okay I respect that but I'm gonna go uh, get my gear and I'm gonna go check into um, the Vayenka Mat, which yeah. is you know yeah. like a military uh, enlistment center, and uh, as I was doing that, uh, a rocket flew over our house, and it was very loud. Uh, it blew up maybe a kilometer away. Uh, oh, crazy! Shook, yeah, shook our entire house. All the car alarms on our street went off, and my wife looked at me and she's like, "I want to get out of here."
1: Yeah, you know? yeah. So then when she saw that, wow, this is really too close for comfort. Like this is a kilometer away where like the building is
0: shaking, we need to get the hell out of here, exactly. and where did you go? Uh, so I picked up uh, my daughter, we grabbed all of our central items, yeah. and uh, we just drove for the Romanian border. Okay, so from here you went to the Romanian border, did you go through Moldova or? Uh, no, we, we went straight to uh, the border crossing with just Ukraine and um, oh, okay. Romania. So that was the boat? yeah. Uh, no, we went to
1: Rini. Oh, you went to Rini. okay. Yeah. That's uh, that's actually just two kilometers inside Moldova. but Or that
0: might actually have Moldova. Yeah,
1: it's actually, it's a very small you, you, uh, board. I don't know what it was like on that day. Maybe they made an exemption and they let everyone across. But you normally have to go two kilometers through Moldova, which is annoying, obviously, yeah. if you're trying to get the hell out to Romania. Well,
0: it, it was interesting because at first, you know, they, when we first showed up there, they are all about having COVID vaccines. Ah, imagine. Yeah, going through all the bureaucracy. And then finally, they were just like, you know, what? Uh, forget about it. Everybody <laughs> just, just get inside the country. You
1: know? Yeah, that's interesting because I left on day two and uh, there was no talk about COVID or anything like that on the Romanian border crossing I went through. Uh, but yeah,
0: that's pretty amazing if they're still asking for COVID certs. Hey, yeah. didn't you notice
1: that there's a war? I,
0: I, I tell people all the time, it was like as the war came and COVID went.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, uh, uh, Russia killed COVID, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> COVID like, doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, definitely in this area. So, OK, you got your family to safety in Romania and then, as you said, you had gone to the enlistment office here in Odessa, uh, so what happened next? You, you came back to Odessa?
0: Yes, um, fortunately, I had a few friends uh, which I served with previously who are also living here in Odessa and we kind of formed up together, kind of weighed out our options of exactly what we wanted to do, uh, what route we wanted to take and um, we knew that the fighting was going on in the Hirsone region uh, so, at that point, we decided that we would um, drive out to heararson and just kind of fall in on any unit uh, that was willing to accept us. Okay, and which
1: unit was that in the end?
0: Well, in the very beginning, uh, we drove out to heararson and we were we got we made our way to city center and uh, I gotta tell you, there was no fighting in the city itself. Okay. So we started driving outside the city, kind of towards Oleshky. Yeah, I know uh, Oleshky sounds. I went there exactly. Once we got to this area, we came across a few destroyed uh, Ukrainian tanks and uh, BTRs. Okay. Uh, I had one Lada just drive like a hundred miles per hour past me, and all of a sudden, from woodlines machine gun fire just wow. started opening up. Wow! So it was like. Uh but was it a Russian or a Ukrainian? Russians. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So
1: they had to uh, commandeered a civilian uh, vehicle yeah. and then converted it to be able to shoot it out of it. Were they wearing uniform or did you even see any of this? Uh,
0: well, the lot of that drove by, no, the guy was a civilian. Uh, the machine gun fire came from the wood line outside. Oh, from so the it wood wasn't line okay. The oh, okay,
1: so it wasn't in the vehicle, right. Okay, so I understand, yeah. So this is crazy. So this is in Oleshky? Yes. Wow, Oleshky Sands. And that's the thing, there was a. Uh, I remember there was a U- Ukrainian military camp nearby. I remember that because yeah, i would um, actually come across it when I was there. Uh...
0: Yeah, because when I was serving in the Marines, mm-hmm. the main uh, polygon, which is like a uh, Russian word for a uh, training center, mm-hmm. uh, that's Izzoleshky Sands for yeah, the yeah, Marines. Remember, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So
1: this is one of the reasons to go down there. And then what happened next? So you're in Oleshky, you're under we're fire. We're in
0: we're under fire and um, we banked to you, turned around, started driving back towards Hirson and we came across uh, four Ukrainian soldiers that kind yeah. of like waved us you know, waved us over to them. Uh, So we picked these guys up, and one of them needed to go back to Hyerson. He wanted to go to his house, and the other three wanted to go to Mykolaiv. And at that moment, there was like a big rush of all Ukrainian forces were going back to Mykolaiv because the Russian armor column was actually sidestepping uh, the city of Hyerson, and it was going north, and it was wrapping around uh, Mykolaiv. Uh, so we ended up falling back to Mykolaiv with with a big convoy of uh, Ukrainian soldiers.
1: Okay, so back to Mykolaiv. I know they went Novokhovka and then across, obviously, up to Buzynets Square. They were stopped eventually, yeah. uh, a few days later. Crazy. So, wow. So you're there in Mykolaiv, uh, and basically the city is um, preparing for a siege or defense. I yeah, guess. there was, was
0: police cars everywhere. Uh, there was just. Armor, like army personnel everywhere, everyone running around, very chaotic, uh, people shouting out orders, people blocking vehicles, making, uh, you know, positions, like hasty fighting positions, were going up around the city. Uh, and there was rumors that they were actually going to blow up the main bridge that connects, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, mainland, Mikulai, the city to the other half.
1: Because they did not do that in Novokovka, because it's a dam. It's, I mean, obviously you did have some, that small bridge across where there's a canal. And the big controversy was Kherson, I think, at the time, because they didn't blow up that, uh, I think it's called Antonovska Bridge. I can't remember the exact name of it is, but it's a big bridge they've driven across. That didn't happen. So if they were worried about the Russian forces getting across uh, that bridge, uh, then they would blow it up. It would make sense to me, because then the road would be open here to Odessa. Correct. Okay. So pretty chaotic people trying to make decisions under a lot of pressure, not really having full information about what the Russian strategy is. Can they defend Mikhailov or not? Uh, and this is how many days into the This war? is February 25th. Oh, this is the day. Yeah. This wow. Is. So when I was trying to leave across the border in Romania, you were already back in Mykolaiv uh, and yes. her son, Aleshki. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. You managed to get your, uh, yeah, get your wife and uh, daughter to uh, Romania. Then you, you came back within a day. Crazy, man. Um, and then what were the next steps? Because uh, things stabilized. Uh, over, uh, yeah. Maybe about 10 days later, maybe, because obviously the Russians took, um, um, they continued to
0: advance, I think, was it around 10 days? They started, they continued their advance north, uh, mm-hmm. but they were, they were completely stopped uh, when they tried to enter the city of okay. Uh Their advance was halted, and we were able to push them all the way back down to about where they are right now.
1: Okay, because I know they get up to because my girlfriend's from Vosnesensk originally, and that was the furthest north they got on that axis. And then they were stopped and obviously then they retreated to where they are now. So since that time, what have you been uh, doing? You came back from the front, obviously you're here in Odessa.
0: Correct. Uh, Well, I came back from the front in uh, early June. So uh, as soon as I came back, I actually took over the training operations for the uh, Odessa Territorial Defense.
1: Okay, so now you're training Ukrainians or foreigners or...
0: I'm training the Ukrainian Armed Forces, uh, 126 Brigade to be exact. Um, It's the territorial defense. It was uh, basically a new brigade created um, right after the onset of the invasion. Uh, So the guys who are in it were all civilians prior to the war. Uh, So that's why it's so important right now to give them, you know, um, really good uh, training
1: okay excellent so you're doing that that's your main focus at the moment how do you think the war will end because um, we're here it's uh what date is it today it's like September 30th or October September 30th. This is October uh, 1st yeah September 30th 2022 and uh, you know Ukraine in the last month in particular has pushed Russian forces back to take a lot of oblast, some parts of Donetsk and Luhansk in particular a little bit of Herson how do you see things developing from here
0: Overall, I see a Ukrainian victory imminent. Uh, You know, I would say already Ukraine has won this war because Russia's uh, primary objectives from the very beginning was to take control of the entire country. It was to seize Kiev, it was to seize Odessa, uh, it was to get rid of the Zelensky administration, and it was for a full takeover of Ukraine, and they failed already in all those aspects. Uh, so what we have now are little bits and pieces of Zheborizia Oblast, as well as um, Hirson Oblast, like you said, Khaikov uh, Most of Khaikov has just been liberated by Ukrainian forces. Exactly. There's um, only a tiny, tiny bit still exactly. under occupation. Exactly. And to put it in perspective, prior to the invasion, uh, most of Donbass, which you have Donetsk Oblast and Luhansk Oblast, uh, was already under separatist control and uh, the amount of territory that the russian forces have been able to uh, take since february 24th is extremely minute Uh, so that being said they've even failed in their overall objective to take over the Donbass.
1: yeah i mean they keep changing their their objectives officially first it's like uh, denazification and inverted commas uh, which doesn't really mean anything to anyone you just call whoever they like a nazi and say yeah we're going to kill you or get rid of you simply because we're denazifying. we're demilitarizing again does that mean what, what does that mean It mean there's yeah. no ukrainian army left or no independent ukrainian army left and then the territory thing um, yeah initially they see the you know the interpretation is denazification uh, objective was that well they called Zelensky basically uh, a nazi and a drug addict so yeah. it was so, basically changed the government so that's failed they've failed to take kiev they've obviously failed to take Kharkiv because they were there on the outskirts of the city on day one and two they have, uh, at the moment, they're holding on grimly to Kherson. Um, they, they never got to Zaporizhia. So major conurbations, uh, they basically have what they had at the beginning, which was Donetsk and Luhansk. Yeah, um, uh, with the exception
0: of Mariupol. Mariupol,
1: sorry, I forgot Mariupol, which, but they, yeah, unfortunately, tragically, they absolutely raised that city to the ground in barbaric uh, fashion. Uh, during that siege, there were some British Uh, POWs POWs who were taken were in a similar situation to you. They have been part of the Ukrainian Armed Forces. Um, Aidan Aslan was one, Sean Sean Pinner. Pinner, Uh, Have you met those guys?
0: Yes, so actually I have a a very personal relationship uh, built with Aidan Aslan and Sean Pinner. Uh, I served with both of them in uh, 36th Brigade 1st Battalion of the Ukrainian Marines. Uh, so okay, so
1: you guys were actually fighting together in Donbass. Yeah,
0: we, uh, we we did deployment together in the Pavlopol, which is a, a village outside Mariupol. Okay. Uh, so, you know, uh, when I first heard that they were on the front on deployment when this invasion happened, I knew already that they were, like, in trouble and that they were going to be in Mariupol. And okay. um, they held out in Mariupol all the way to the very end and uh, they ended up surrendering when there was no more means to continue on uh, resistance. You know, they ran out of ammunition, they ran out of water, they ran out of supplies. Uh, Their command gave the order to surrender. Uh, And, um, you know, it was very tragic at first when we heard that they were sentenced to death by the uh, DNR court system. Uh, But, you know, just recently, we were all given the great news that they've been returned in a prisoner swap and um, again, that was one of the best you know news I ever gotten in my life. Is that yeah, see, cause it was that? Because that wasn't looking off.
1: good about two weeks ago. Yeah. I remember there was a British humanitarian worker who was uh, under, uh, I guess, detained. He was detained by the same. I, would call them, I don't even know whether to call them separatist for by the Russian forces because that's basically what they are. They're just a series of different militias or formations. And he died um, while yeah. in detention. So. Yeah, it's good to see that they got out, Um, yeah I can imagine that you feel like in another set of circumstances you might have been in Mariupol or they gotten around you in Leshki, and it would have been the same uh, situation. Uh, At the time the the Russian side was claiming that they're mercenaries, Um, I mean I have a legal background so Mm. for me, what what do you think about it first, the claim that they're mercenaries?
0: why it was baseless was because uh, Sean and Aiden signed up to join the Marine Corps. They enlisted in the Marines, just like anyone else could, you know? Uh, they were already temporary citizens in this country. Uh, they were living here and established. So they were residents? They were residents. Oh, were they already
1: citizens, do you know?
0: No, they weren't citizens, but they were residents. And, um, you know, they went into the office, they joined up. They went to basic training. Uh, they took the oath of enlistment. And in all sense, you know, they're integrated, they're members of the Ukrainian armed forces. It's just like uh, while serving in the U.S. military, we have a lot of uh, immigrants that might come from Latin America or Europe or any other countries like Asia. And um, you know, a lot of them, they get their green card, and then they join the U.S. Army, uh, and they okay. d- they establish themselves as citizens. So it's the same thing here in this country. You know, they're not okay. mercenaries; they're contract soldiers.
1: Yeah, and they were here for many years beforehand in the armed forces. So I don't even understand how you could even try to claim that they're mercenaries with a straight face, but. Yeah, that's just kind of how it rolls with uh, the Russian side in this in this war. It's not very uh, most of it's very illogical what they start Everybody to claim knows. all the time. Uh, what are your plans going forward? Because
0: yeah, this is uh, Odessa, Mama. Odessa, Mama.
1: And uh, as I mentioned, you like to DJ Love and stuff it. like that. So you're planning to stay in uh, yeah. in
0: Odessa? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here until the end of the war, and I'm gonna probably stay here even after. So
1: okay. And actually, we met before. I probably should have started the interview by, by uh, saying that because you reached out to me. Where did we meet? Oh, we met at a Solomon's concert at Ibiza uh, Beach Club. <laughs> exactly, there was this legendary night out at Ibiza Club a couple of years ago. It was 2019, I remember yeah. it well. Yeah. Solomon came and it uh, was a kind of a, a huge party here in the center, well, not in the center of Odessa, but out at the beach at Arcadia. Ibiza Club at Arcadia. And uh, yeah, crazy. So yeah. we actually had met socially. Uh, before and uh, thanks for the interview, Alex. Thank I you. I really appreciate what you've done personally in helping to defend Ukraine. Obviously, this is a very difficult period. It's for me, I, I see it as kind of like a great patriotic war for Ukraine, and it will firmly. I mean, it was already independent for thirty years, but Russia uh, basically, the Kremlin decided they didn't like that and they decided to try and reverse it. So I really appreciate your contributions, and I'm looking forward to us meeting up socially. Uh, in the future, come at other to a parties, rave. yeah, exactly. I'm looking forward. Exactly, we go back to way, the way things were before this this phase of the war, because they did start in two thousand fourteen. So, uh, thank Slava, you for your I guess, support. I guess I didn't comment on his T-shirt. Yeah. I put the after-party one, but he put one that normally <laughs> I. <actually laughs> were, exactly, русский <laughs> карабо. So on that, um, Slava, Ukraina. Haram Slava. Допабачна, and. See you in the next video. Ciao, ciao from Adyasa Mama in free Ukraine. And soon it will be joined by the rest of the country.
0: Sar Experience